Hey, this is Shane Malcolm. And this is Jordan Schweitzer. We're the creators of boot bags. Fashionable, durable, washable. Boot bags are the most convenient way to carry your cleats to and from training or games. Check us out at bootbags.us. You're listening to the Force Fancast Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of our Who Are Ya special series of shows where we spend a little time revisiting the careers of some fantastic Forest players of the past. Players listeners might be a little less familiar with than some of their higher profile teammates. I'm joined once again by my illustrious co-host, a man who by day plies his trade with the likes of the BBC and BT Sport. But after hours, has taken to slumming it with me. Darren Fletcher. You right, Fletch? Yes, how are you? All good? Yeah, doing all right, mate. Doing well, doing good. well. Good. So, uh, you live your life on Twitter. So, there's obviously a couple of things I need to pick you up on before we get going here. Talk to me about this okay. new bike. Anyone who hasn't seen a picture of your new bike and that flipping cheese cutter saddle you've got going on, what's that all about? Yeah, it's okay, the saddle. I was surprised at the saddle. When I saw the saddle, I thought could be in trouble. But the saddle is okay. Um, it's just a case of, obviously, we're in lockdown here, so I'm not really working. Um, so I thought I'd try and get fit. So I've got a treadmill in the in the garage, bike. I've got a, an exercise bike as well. So I thought I'd spend a bit of time each day and try and get fit. So the bike's good. I mean, the, bike, the bike's getting me out of the house. I'm getting on the running machine. I've just come back from running, so I'm a bit warm. So if I start sweating, it's not because I'm nervous talking to you. <laughs> it's because I've just come off the treadmill. So I apologize for that. But yeah, it's just, I just, I, this is normally the time of the year where we've been here, there, and everywhere in Europe. And the Premier League season would have finished yesterday. So I would have just had no time whatsoever to exercise. So it's, it's been a great opportunity to try and get a bit healthier and a bit fitter, eat a little bit better. So that's that's kind of been the target. So it's 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 actually gone quite well. So I'm enjoying it, and I'm 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 pretty conscious on on trying to maintain the lifestyle changes when everything gets back to normal, whenever that is. So I'm hoping it's a little bit of a reset, and I might just live a little bit longer. You never know. Certainly is yeah. the trick. Well, our listeners are used to your iconic uh, your iconic voice, but they don't get to see you that much. And I have to confirm for our listeners, Fletch is looking fit, looking good, mate. It's <laughs> working for you. Definitely. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Now, um, since we last spoke, you had your second of your virtual night in sessions. Uh, this yeah. time with Steve Stone, Kevin Campbell, and Colin Cooper. One of those individuals is particularly pertinent to uh, today's episode. But just got to say, broad strokes, that was fantastic, mate. I mean, just as good as the first, maybe even a little better than the first one, because it's clear that you were pretty close to those lads. Obviously, there were uh, that was the time of your life when you were really woven into the fabric of what was going on uh, with, with Forrest and down at the city ground. And so, yeah, really, really enjoyed that episode. Good stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed doing it. And, and, and as you say, I, I, was, I was really fortunate with those fellas because they allowed me to, to all intents and purposes, be one of them. Mm-hmm. So they had no issue with me being part of what they did. So... 
we had a fantastic relationship with them. I, I have close friendships with a number of those lads now. But it came from the manager down. I mean, Harry was great to deal with. Harry Bastick was, was brilliant. Um, all the players, all the way. The, 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 it, was, it was a team where there were no bad eggs, no bad apples, no issues. I know Pierre gets a lot of stick for going on strike later on. But he was a vital part of that whole social scene and everything during the, the promotion season and very popular with all the players. So they allowed me to see them from the inside and they trusted me not to betray any confidences, which of course I didn't. And those relationships and friendships have lasted to this day. So to sit down and reminisce, I mean, we, we, we spoke a, a lot uh, off air before we actually did it about some of the things that we didn't necessarily want to say to everybody. But so to, to do that was great. And I, I, will, I will always maintain that that was the best group of people to work with for a year in my entire career as a, as a broadcaster, stroke journalist. It will never be beaten. And, and there were so many factors at play as to why that was. And, and I, I don't think we actually appreciate just how good a team that was. As I tried to say on the, on the virtual evening with, I think if they go into the Premier League with the team that got promoted, plus maybe two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go in with Bessentor, Crossley and goal. You probably want to improve the right-back position. But then you've got Cooper. You've got, you've got uh, Schelder or Chettle. Mm-hmm. You've got Rodgers at left-back who could have played, who did play in the Premier League, you know, for, for, for other, other sides. You've got Stone and, and you've got Wone and you've got those midfield players. You've then got Kevin and Pierre, because obviously the key thing for, for teams that get promoted is they can't score goals. So I think if you go in with the basis of that team and add a couple of bits of quality, I think it's a top-half Premier League side season one, and then the club can go and um, build from there. And I think it's the biggest, the biggest error that that club has made since the post-Clough era. So it goes 93 on when everything changed forever. The biggest mistake they made was not getting Kevin Campbell's contract done. So he went off to play in Turkey. Pierre went on strike. They get relegated. They lose stone. They go through managers. They've never been the same since. And that was the opportunity to get back, stay up, re-establish, go again. And who knows where they would have been as a club now had they got that one decision right. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it bothers me to this day that more people or individuals weren't held accountable for such a balls up like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Hearing Kevin Campbell's story with you guys was, yeah, it was really shocking. I'd heard bits and pieces, but to have it from the horse's mouth and hear that something like that was really the, you know, the, the first domino. Uh, it was astonishing. It was astonishing well, that it was you, allowed to happen. You say the first domino, most of the dominoes are like that. And then Kevin's domino was as big as the room I'm in. So the minute the big one fell, everything else was inconsequential. Yeah. They were never going to recover from that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's focus um, on, well, this team. You go into a bit more detail because the focus of our episode today is the 1990s. I think you led us out last time, Fletch. So if you don't mind, I will kick us off. And I have to say, it was a bit of a challenge for me, honing in on one player for all the reasons that you just outlined in that this was a really, really good team. And so I could have gone with Chets or, or Coops, uh, could have gone certainly with... Um, Scott Gemmell, who I really, really liked. Again, being a central midfielder myself, really enjoyed Gemmell and what he brought to the team. Uh, likewise, Gary Parker and also Ian Wone. And, and, and then finally, the gentleman you picked, and I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but he was one of my absolute faves, not just in that team, but 
in Garibaldi, period. I did, however, though, go for uh, someone who's a character in his own right. Uh, Forrest's number one at the time, Mark Crossley, big norm. So it rests for Tottenham with Teddy Sheringham. Mark Crossley saved the penalty from Sheringham in the league game here last season. who sets off for the Forest fans at the other end of the ground. So, what are your recollections of Big Norm? Well, I mean, I mean, Big Norm is a, is, a, is a friend of mine to this day. I think two days ago we spoke, because at the moment he's involved in raising some money for various mental health charities over here in the UK. And one of the things he's going to do is, is do a, a climb of Kilimanjaro next year. Mm-hmm. So... There's a few ex-players and, and friends and people who are going to join him on that. So he gave me a call to see if I fancied doing it as well. So I might be up Kilimanjaro with, with, with Big Norm this time next year. Bloody uh, but we speak a lot. We, we, <laughs> we, he, he's one of the guys that um, I have an enduring friendship with. And I mean, I first started interviewing Norm when he first got in the team. Um, so I think I said last week, you know, the big problem at Forest when Brian was the manager, was that nobody wanted to speak to the press because they were frightened to death of him hearing what they said and then he'd hold it against them. So there was the fear factor. But goalkeepers are always daft. And you'd certainly say that about the big fella. So he he had no problem. He'd do an interview every day of the week. So Norm became one of the go-to interviews for us on a weekly basis. He was always good value. Great guy. Um... Foot on the pitch, foot off the pitch, lived his life the way he wanted to live it. Very, very talented goalkeeper. I mean, I think in if he was playing in the Premier League now, his reputation will be a lot higher than it was as the Forest goalkeeper back then, where we seem to have more um, English-born goalkeepers of a certain standard. And I know that he went on to play international football for Wales, but he's Barnsley through and through. He, he is. is an Englishman, yep. even though he knows the worst of the anthem, he's an Englishman. But <laughs> at that time, there were a lot more very good English goalkeepers, so he kind of got put in the pack. But he was a fantastic keeper. Made the, dropped the old clanger, be the first to admit it. Fantastic shot stopper, brilliant at saving penalties, big and strong, lovely fella. Um, and the fact that he is so popular universally with Forest supporters, He's maintained the relationship with, with them. They've maintained the relationship with him. And it, it will last the test of time. And, and when you've finished talking about him and giving us your reasons, etc., I'll tell you a little story as to why I think that relationship has endured and will always endure. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to coming on to that. So... Um... Something that folks might not know about Big Norm, I didn't know until I started researching him in a bit more detail, was evidently he started out as a centre-back and moved to being a goalkeeper at 15, which I had no clue, but there you go. Listen, Um, he thinks he can play out. He played at front and pierce, he's testimonial, so I mean, he always... I've got to tell you what, they talk about the goalkeeper at Manchester City and and, and the fellow at Liverpool being able to deliver a pass. Yeah. He was the original... Yeah. He could he could ping that diagonal ball out as well as well as any outfield player to the winger or the fullback at will. And back then nobody really appreciated it. If he did it now, they'd be saying, "Look at him!" But yeah, he, he was he was one of the originals who could do that. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. 
Yeah, it's interesting. People are waxing lyrical about Bruce Samba this season, who have a fantastic season between the pipes for Forrest, but, uh, and I've heard comparisons to some of Forrest's greatest goalkeepers. I've not heard Big North. Listen, listen, stop, stop. No, don't even go, don't, 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 yeah, don't put Samba in the realms of Forrest goalkeepers. Just don't. He's, he's had one season in the championship where for three quarters mint. of it... To use Big Norm's three, terms, it's been mint. For three quarters of it, he's been really good. The last few games, not quite so, right? And he needs a body of work. When you talk about great Forest goalkeepers, you're talking about Peter Shilton, yep. one of the greatest of all time. Hans van Broeklen, maybe the greatest Dutch goalkeeper, not called Edmund van der Sar. You're talking about Crossley, nearly 400 games. You're talking about great goalkeepers. Peter Grummet back before then for, for older listeners. Alan Hill. I mean, great goalkeepers. It's far too early to jump on the Samba band money. He's probably been the best goalkeeper in the championship this year, but let's leave it there for now. Fair enough. <laughs> Somebody's still let's heads get up carried, their run. <laughs> let's not get carried away at this stage. Come on. They're a championship team. If he does that in the Premier League, fine. Fair enough. Championship, I'm waiting. Well, my point was to say that nobody's talked about he and Crossley in the same breath, which has surprised me given their distribution. Because that one, there is a reason. I just explained that. I just explained that. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so anyway, uh, Crossley was Forest trainee from '87 to '89 and broke into the team in '89. At the time, he was the fourth choice goalkeeper. Go on, mate. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who were the three keepers ahead of Norm? Can't see Fletcher's face now, but he's like, oh. I would suggest Steve Sutton obviously would be number one. Yep. I would suggest Ronnie Sinclair would have been one of them. He was at that time. No. I bet you. I bet you he was. I bet you overlapped the norm. <laughs> Maybe he was on more books. Who, who have you got? Uh, Sutton? Sutton, Seegers, Hans Seegers. Do you remember Hans? Yeah, Seegers? I do. Yeah, but I think Hans was a little bit before the big fella. Uh, okay. I think the big fella might. That last one I don't even remember. Uh, Paul, Paul, Paul Crichton, Paul Crichton. Paul Crichton. Paul Crichton went on to play for Grimsby. Um, oh, and, okay. and, and, and I think I'm right in saying, slinging the memory back. I think I'm right in saying that in one of the promotion seasons, it might well be this one that we're going to talk about in the mm-hmm. in the podcast today. He came to to the city ground with with Grimsby, and at the Trent end, a ball got played back to him. And he went to clear it and the ball bounced over his foot. And it was a tap-in. I can't think who it was at the right. Trent end. And I think that was Paul, like Paul Crichton's big moment at Forest was as, as the Grimsby keeper where he balls one up at the Trent end. So that, that might be... I think that was him. Beautiful. Well, the notes I have here say that uh, uh, Sagers was transferred to Wimbledon uh, shortly yeah. after Norm broke into the team and Crichton to Peterborough at the time. You're right, he did go on to play for Grimsby. Went to Grimsby, yeah. I think the following yeah. season. And then evidently, Steve Sutton got sick. And I, I've got to read this because this is just fantastic. This is lifted from the Nottingham Post. So props to those guys and whoever wrote this. Credit to them. Um, from Big Norm. I had fish and chips on the way to the ground, as I always did. And then we arrived at the ground. I went to turning the heat up full blast in the away team dressing room, as I always did. As the gaffer felt, this would dehydrate the away side, giving us an advantage when we took to the pitch. Love that. And he says, Brian always called me shithouse. And he shouted at me at 7pm and said, shithouse, go put your boots on. And you probably need your gloves too. You're playing. I genuinely thought he was joking. 
but knew that had he told me I'd be lining up against Peter Beardsley, Ian Rush and John Barnes, the opposition with Liverpool, of course, that day, I would have been a nervous wreck and would have probably played terribly. We won the game 2-1 and he actually rung my family on the sly and told them I'd be playing, which was testament to Brian as a man. Brilliant. All true. All true. Um, all true. I think he was sweeping the corridor when he actually got the call. I think he was going <laughs> up and down with the brush, which is what he said to me. And when you talk about Brian calling him shithouse, Norm will always tell you that he had three terms and it was kind of a sliding scale of endearment. One of them was Barnsley. He would just shout Barnsley if he wanted him. Ugly man was another one. <laughs> and then, then Shithouse would be the last. And he, he, he tells all these stories on his, on his journeys after dinner speeches. And it's, it's, it's remarkable, really. And it, the, the funniest Mark Crossley story, which would never happen today, is that three or four games into that uh, period in the first team, he's going back to Barnsley. So he's finished the game. They played, well, they played Newcastle or Southampton. He's got his bag on, on his back. He's walking out of the changing rooms. See you Monday, lads, says Big Norm. Where do you think you're going, shithouse, <laughs> says the manager. He said, I'm going off to Barnsley, gaffer. So he said, my house tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. So off he goes. No idea why he's going to be there. So there's a fellow who's the stadium manager then many, 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 many years looked after the, the stadium called Chaz, Chaz Ralph. So he said to Chaz, I've got to go to the gaffers tomorrow, but I don't even know where he lives. I haven't got a car. What so Chaz said, well, get to the ground in the morning and I'll take you. So he took Norm to Brian's house. Barbara, Brian's wife, let him in, made him a cup of tea. Brian came in. He said, son, thank you. So he said, what for, gaffer? He said, for agreeing to play for Simon's team this morning. And Simon was Brian's son, and he had a Sunday side. Amateur Sunday side. So off they went, and Brian took the dog for a walk. Crossley played in goal for this Sunday team. The day after playing in the old first division. Can you imagine that now? Unbelievable. First division keeper playing Sunday morning. Won the game. He said, I made, about, I made, a, made one save. He said, and all I heard from a two or three fields away, shit out! He said, and he got, the, he got the thumbs up like this while he's walking the dog. He said, because I've made the save. So about six months later, he gets called into the office. And Brian gave him an envelope with a red tree in the corner. And when he got one of those, that was a fine. They used to call it getting the red tree. So when he opened it, there was a fine for 50 quid or whatever it was. So he said, what's this for? He said, well... When you played for Simon's team, you weren't registered. You were down as a ringer. So they find the team and you can pay for it. So he made him pay the fine. <laughs> he made him pay the fine. So he played on a Sunday the day after playing in the first division and then about six months later had to pay a fine. And that is absolutely gospel. That is true. He will, he will, he will swear on anything that that is the case. He'll tell you that story himself. That is brilliant. That's absolute gold. <laughs> yeah, but that's just him. That is just him. And I tell you what, I, I said I'd tell you the story about why he's so popular. When he first got in the team, he used to make some mistakes. I mean, the crowd used to get onto him because yeah. Forrest had always had consistent goalkeepers. They'd gone from Shilton, Van Broeklin, Sutton, Sagers. They were all very consistent. He was good at picking keepers. So... 
Mark gets in and he's, he's a little bit flaky, one or two errors. Bah. So one of his mates said, I tell you what we're going to do on Sunday. What's that? Because Norm was saying, they're getting on to me, they don't like me, I'm, I'm not enjoying it. So he said, Sunday, we're going to go to their pub. So it's Sunday, Sunday lunchtime, Norm's mate takes him to the main forest pub in the meadows in Nottingham, where all the, the, all the big hitters go, all the main supporters. And they're all in there having a drink, and he walked in. And he spent Sunday afternoon with them, having a few beers. And they got to know him, he got to know them, and he's been one of them ever since. Brilliant. So that will never go, because he took the time to go and meet the people that he was playing for, and they took to him and he took to them and he's had that relationship ever since and he'll f- forever be unbelievably popular and untouchable really in the eyes of, of Forest supporters. Yeah, and that's a, to your earlier point, I mean, that so rarely happens anymore. It's almost inconceivable that would happen these days. But fair play to him. I mean, you're right, he endeared yeah. himself to the fans, they gave him a little bit more leeway and as you mentioned, he went, out, went on to have uh, over 300 appearances for the club. Little known fact about Norm, before he broke into the Forest team in 89, he had brief loan spells at Millwall and Manchester United. So Manchester, anyway, United, Manchester United wanted to sign him. Oh, I didn't know that. Sir Alex wanted to sign him. Yeah. And it, it didn't. he went back to Forest and was first team goalkeeper. Absolutely. Now, one thing you did refer to earlier, Fletch, which I've got to circle back around to because... I want to. I want to try and highlight one key moment for for each of our players, and this isn't really a key moment as such. This is a, a characteristic, I suppose, of Big Norm's goalkeeping. Although there was partic- one particular moment where he really shone, and I'm talking, of course, about his penalty save record. He has an incredible penalty save record for Forest. I think during his time at the City Ground, it was certainly over fifty percent. I think it was getting on for sixty percent of the penalties he faced he saved, which is just astonishing. I mean, that's just incredible. Has he ever spoken to you at all about his, uh, kind of his attitude towards penalties and why he has quite a record he does? Not really, but, but what, he, what, he, what he does hold, hold in the highest regard is the fact that he was the only player to save a penalty from Matt Letizia. That's right. So if, if, you, if you talk about big moments for him, people would automatically think it was Lineker's penalty in the cup final, but it, other people say penalties from Lineker and other people had saved it in cup finals. But the fact that he was the only player to save a penalty from Matt Letizia is something that means a tremendous amount to him. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, that, I mean, he, he just had the knack of doing it. And I, I remember I, when he, he saved Lineker's penalty in 91 in the final, I was actually sat on the grass next to that goal in my role as the reporter that day. So I was literally 10 yards away at pitch level from that, uh, penalty save. The Letizia one, as I say, is, is everything to him. But I remember him heroically getting Forrest through in a cup tie at Tottenham when they went to penalties. And then he ran the length of the field and dived at the other end. And I was commentating with Larry Lloyd that day. And the earth literally shook when a big fella hit the deck <laughs> at one end. I still think the Tottenham pitch at White Hart Lane was was was, That's why they was dinted for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember I remember Big Larry shouting Norman Crossley for Lord Mayor as he went running down the as he went running down the pitch. But he, he was great. I mean, he, he he was. Thing is, he's a big fella, so it must be quite intimidating when he stood twelve yards away and the big man's in the middle of the goal, and you know that he's got a decent record because he saved one or two. And you look at him and think there's not a great deal of room either side. And he's pretty good at reading what I'm going to do. 
So he, he just had a knack. And as I yeah. say, brilliant shot stopper. I mean, he very rarely saw him make too many mistakes in terms of shot stopping. Tended to be crosses. You know, he, he, he dropped the old clanger from crosses, the most famous one or infamous one being the, the FA Cup tie at Portsmouth in the two or three minutes into the game. Alan McLaughlin scored and, and Forrest went out. But he, um, as a shot stopper, way more athletic than you would think he was by appearance. But as a penalty, a penalty saver, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and as you mentioned, the Letizia save was the only uh, penalty from 48 that Letizia yeah. took that was ever stopped. Norm, of course, being one of only three goalkeepers, along with a uh, teammate, will be a teammate, Dave Besson and Peter Cech, to save a penalty in normal time in an FA Cup final. And uh, yeah, you're right, that uh, fifth round FA Cup shootout against Tottenham. Of course, he stopped the uh, uh, the, the, the crucial kick from former teammate, Teddy Sheringham, because Norm had his yeah. number. Uh, and as you also mentioned, he went on to represent Wales, courtesy of a Welsh grandparent, playing eight times on the international stage. He previously represented England at U21 level, but uh, again, I think just too many good English goalkeepers at the time. Uh, too, too cluttered of a path, probably, so Norm decided to go with a Welsh option instead. In 2000, he left Forest and went to Middlesbrough was loaned out at Stoke briefly, moved to Fulham. Actually had a pretty decent time at Fulham. Uh, and then pinged around a couple of other clubs as well before he finally moved into a coaching role, actually across the River Trent, right? Notts County. Well, he was at Chesterfield for a period of time. That's right. Um, he was at Fulham as a goalkeeping coach for a period of time. So he, he's had various roles. He worked with John Sheridan quite closely at, at Chesterfield and at uh, Notts County and then went back to Chesterfield on a part-time basis last season with John. He's not working in football at the moment while he concentrates on his after-dinner speaking and one or two other bits and bobs as well. But yeah, I mean, he's just such a likeable guy that I think he's, he's one of those people who will always have a role in football if he wants one because A, he's very good at what he does and B, he's, he's, he's a person that everybody likes. He's, he's a good person to have around the club. He's as honest as the day's long. You know, what he tells you is right and, and he's, he's, he's being truthful whether you like it or not. Um, and he's, 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 he's just a lovely, a lovely fella, just an all-round lovely fella. So it's, he's one of the people in life that you root for. And he has strong opinions on walking, doesn't he? Well, just now. <laughs> just now. Apparently he's brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's only taken him 50 years to realise how good it is. <laughs> anyway yeah check out Big Norm he's very active on Twitter buy his hat buy his hat make him happy <laughs> buy one of his walking his brilliant hats and get behind him because he's going to raise a lot of money for charity I can guarantee you that yeah he's done a fine fine job in there and he posts videos just yeah. about every other day so um, every, no every day not every <laughs> other day every day every time I go on Twitter he's there on another walk when I spoke to him the other day he was walking when, he, when I asked him walking yeah I'm, yeah, I'm out now right He's right, though. It is good for your mental health. I mean, one of the things that you and it I is. talked about off mic is the exercise we've been doing, and it does put you in a better frame of mind. So fair play to him for doing that and raising awareness for mental health. And yeah, check him out on Twitter. I don't have his handle to, to hand, but like Fletcher, you can't go a day on Twitter without seeing his face. So if you look for Big Norm, yeah. you'll find him. All right, let's transition to your player, my friend. Uh, I needed to leave more time for this one because I think we could do an entire hour on this guy uh, well, you could do an entire hour on this guy. Why don't you tell us who you've selected from the 90s? Yeah, well, I, I really couldn't select anybody else because he was he was my best mate to all intents and purposes for a number of years. And we did so much together off, you know, off, off the pitch. 
Um, we socialized with families individually. We, we, you know, he was, he became such a close friend of mine and we still speak today. So I've got to pick Stoney. Stone, Lee, two efforts to stop him. Here's Steve Stone on his right foot. A cracker from Steve Stone. They stood off him and he made them pay. Got to pick Steve Stone. I, I couldn't do this and speak about somebody else having had and, and have the relationship with him that I've got. A close second to that would have been the fellow that you that you chose in, in Mark. Ian Wone is another player that I, I was close to and I still am now. He lives not too far from me. The family are probably five minutes away. Wone's family. Um, so, but I've got to pick Stoney. I mean, he was the such a character. Yeah, the bulldog. And, and he, when he first got into the Forest side in Cluffy's last season, I think he scored at Middlesbrough away. The backstory to him is that he'd always been a talented footballer. He's a Geordie, born in Gateshead, Lowfell, um, where his parents still live. And Steve's back in, in Newcastle now as well. But he, he, he broke his leg three times as, a, as a, a youth player. It's a situation that ordinarily would finish you off. But he, he's a stubborn so-and-so and he's determined and he's fit. And he was able to battle through. And he was a typical Cluffy player in many ways. You know, he was, when you think about the combination that they had in the, in the league championship and European Cup team, Robbo on the left, Martin on the right. You know, Stoney was Martin on that side. Yeah. Busy, worker, runner, energetic, got a goal, gave you everything. Cluffy loved it. Loved that kind of thing. And then he got me maybe the more silky one on the other side, who would be Woney in this case. Uh, those two, by the way, thick as thieves um, and still are today. Uh, you never saw one without the other. You never heard one without the other. You know, they're partners in crime. Brilliant. So he, 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 he earned the chance the hard way and he came in, he was one of the bright spots in the relegation season. But of course, when they become a championship side the year after under Frank, he's one of the players then that becomes a key person key player and it was the it was the birth of him really as a as a big time footballer um you wouldn't ever describe him as a natural winger because he was he was he was there was more to him than that making runs beyond defenders busy energetic good deliverer of the ball scored a goal infectious enthusiasm um gave you everything hard as nails you know, all those things you'd use and I think, it, I think it was good for him because he got that opportunity to play in the, in the championship as it was. And then when they got back into the Premier League, he was ready to go. Um, Forrest went on to finish third that year, second or third that year. Yes, the, Brilliant. He was key, key, key man. I always say with that, that year, by the way, they hit a flat spot in December. If you look at the results in December, they didn't win. If they would have got through December, okay. They were not about bad, okay. Yeah. They probably would have won the league that year. That's how good they were. But he was a key player then and he went on to, to be a key player in Europe for them and, and on and on and on and on and on and became an England player. And, and it was, it's fantastic to see him develop as he did to go through the ranks, to suffer what he suffered at the, at the outset and then turn that into a brilliant career as far as he was concerned. Yeah, it's funny. You talk about him not looking like or operating necessarily like an out-and-out out uh, winger his build suggests he should be a defensive midfielder. I mean, and, and just the way he plays as well. He was scrappy and aggressive and physical. And 
Like he's got that ability. He's got that ability to go past somebody as well, yeah. which it's a very underappreciated skill. If you can, if you can stare somebody in the eye and you know you can get round them, Brian Roy always used to say, English players don't realise that to win football matches and score goals, you have to go round someone to take them out of the game. Right. The Dutch were great at making themselves a numerical advantage by two or three quick passes or a bit of skill that took, that, that, that took somebody out of the equation. Then all of a sudden, you've got a man over somewhere. Brian was a massive believer of that. So when you watch Brian Roy play, he was always looking to take someone out of their comfort zone, to take them out of their defensive system by beating them so that Forrester got the numerical advantage. Stoney was great at that. Great at teeing up the fullback and off he'd go. And invariably, there was an end product at the end of it too. We talked about Franz Carr a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, Franz was a better winger, but Stoney delivered more than he did. Absolutely. So if you could, if you could, you know, you could stick Stoney's delivery onto Franz's ability, he'd have had the perfect wide player. But he, yeah. you know, he, he did on occasions play in different positions, but I think that's where he actually felt comfortable too. And of course, he was a fullback's delight because you knew if you were the right back, that you've got a player that not only would go forward, but he'd do, it, do the defensive shift as well. Yeah. And that was, that, was, that was something that made him very important to the team. Who was his fullback at the time? Was it Des Little? Well, Des, Des, Des was, was, was in there. Um, Thierry Bonnelaire would have, oh, would, have, yeah. would have been ahead of him too in, in, the, yeah. in the promotion season. So, so that's kind of where it was. I would think when he first came in the team, it might well have been Gary Charles and Brian Laws for a, for a little period in that, in that relegation season. Yeah, um, and then and then transitioning on from there to Des, and then onward to Thierry. So David Phillips even would have been in front of him on on occasions because David filled in as a right back too. Now you mentioned he had the enviable hat trick of broken legs. That's one hat trick as a professional mm. soccer player you don't want to have. Oh my gosh, I just realised I said soccer player. Um, <laughs> talking to Darren Fletcher. After sticking, after sticking Bryce Samba in, in the or Bryce Samba in the same stratosphere as Peter Shilton, you, there's nothing else you can do to that. Look, uh, that's not what I did, and anyone who listens back to this will <laughs> hear that quite clearly. Anyway, um, so you know him well, obviously. Yeah. What? Not clearly. These are things that, generally speaking, we don't talk about publicly because um, when play. I remember when you know when. Cluffy would have this, this adage when players were injured, he didn't want them at the city ground, right? He didn't want them around the team. So you become a forgotten man. I'm wondering, how did Stoney deal with, I mean, he must be mentally very, very strong to have dealt with that on three occasions. Well, yeah, but I, I, and I, and I think, I, think that I, I didn't know him then because he was a youth player. So we, mm. didn't, we didn't know the youth players. Um, and, and I think you've got to get that right with Brian. It wasn't everybody per se. If you're injured, if you're a first team player, then he didn't necessarily want your negativity around the side. And I get that. Mm-hmm. So he'd stop Trevor going to the European Cup final, which, which still hurts Trevor Francis to this day. It was wrong. The wrong thing to do on that occasion. It was the wrong thing to do. He got that wrong. But you can kind of understand that everybody's in the changing room getting ready for a game and you can't play for six weeks because you're injured and you're moping about. He doesn't want that negative energy in there. So I get yeah. that. But I think he had tremendous admiration for Stoney because of what he fought through, that he could see that desire within him to beat the broken leg and then do it again and come back again. And I think he, he earned the manager's respect. So I think when he was fit, he was able to come in. He, was really, he, he really wanted to give him a chance in the first team because of everything he'd gone through. So I think in... In Brian's eyes, it stood him in good stead. 
because he showed that ability to battle through adversity. But of course, by the time he became a first team regular, Frank Clark was his manager. So mm-hmm. Frank was the, was the beneficiary of, of, of that persistence from Stoney to come back from the injuries. But, but that, that, those three broken legs, in, in actual fact, that, that wasn't the worst injury that he had. And you like to look at key moments in this series. I will always say that the key moment for him and a key moment for Forrest was the game against Leicester very, very early in the relegation season. And I was sat in the commentary position at the city ground. And he picked up the ball pretty much on the halfway line, right down below us. And he was on the touchline, pretty much on the halfway line. And as he turned, you heard in the stadium a crack. You could hear the audible crack. And it was the patella tendon in his knee. Now, if people don't know a great deal about knees, if you hold your kneecap, straighten your leg and hold your kneecap, you will feel underneath the kneecap what feels like a straight bone going down mm. into your shin. Mm. Well, that's actually the patella tendon. And they call it high jumper's knee because a lot of high jumpers get the injury from the pressure of, of, of the high jump routine. It, it, it damages the patella. So Stoney snapped the patella tendon against Leicester, which ruled him out essentially for a year, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And I think his absence was the reason they got relegated. I think by missing him, it was, it was a step too far for that team. And, and we, we spoke, I, I did, a, I did a, the podcast that you spoke about with, with Colin and Kevin and, and Stoney last week. They couldn't quite put their finger on what it was. My belief always was it was his injury. But he was such an important player and played so well at that time that they couldn't, they couldn't replace him. There was yeah, nobody was in the side to give. Right, the energy... The, the, you know, the, the basic football um, ability that he had, you know, goals and making goals, but the energy, the type of player he was, he gave them something that nobody else had. And that, that was key. So they get relegated. Now, this is where we really became close because he's injured. And I said to him at the time, why don't you come and do your own slot on the radio? You can have your own slot every week. We'll come and fetch you. I'll come and fetch you. You can't drive. It'll get you out of the house, come in. So we called it Banter with a Bulldog, and he hosted his own 20-minute slot every week while he recovered. And, of course, during the course of this, we, we, we become thick as thieves. We've, we go from being acquaintances at the training ground and morning hour, Ayabar, to thick as thieves. So that, that's where our relationship really developed. And then, of course, he was lucky the first time that he got to establish himself in the first team in the championship. So then when he comes back from a really bad injury, a career threatener, gets a year in the championship again, just to get himself back in and get fully fit and get the confidence. So by the time he gets in the Premier League, he's he's now two years removed from the injury. He's had a really good individual season and a season that, you know, he really enjoyed and on he could go. But I always look at him and think, if you were going to say, would he play for England? You'd say no. But if you ever say to Steve Stone, you won't do that, he'll do it. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. He's got this inner belief. You can play golf with him and he'll stand there and you're, you're clear. You've got two holes to play and you're clear. But there's still a glimmer and I guarantee he'll beat you. He will, he will, he'll find a way to beat you. That's him. And it's, it's why he can come back from the adversity he's come back from. He's a battler. He's always been able to maximise everything he's got. To play for England was a huge achievement for him, especially to be in the Euro 96 squad as well. But, you know, he, he was a very, very, very good player. And 
you know, I'm not sure over that two or three year period where Forrest were flying under Frank, whether there were too many more important than him. Yeah. You know, in yeah. terms of what he, what he gave you. So he was, he was huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what you, you talked about there is his incredible tenacity as well. You know, some players, mm-hmm. most often players get nicknames and they're just an extension of their surname. They're very uninspiring. And then occasionally you get someone who has a nickname where you're like, where did that come from? You know, the bulldog uh, makes yeah. sense with Steve Stone. I mean, just that tenacity and that just that persistence and just that, that grit well, looks like that one. he had. <laughs> he looks like it. He looks like one. <laughs> you said that, not me. Like I'm glad that's yeah. on. <laughs> he had this phenomenal, this phenomenal work ethic and, and ability to to want to be better. He always yeah. wanted to be as fit as he could because he knew that to play at the level he was at, he had to be there. But it, he wasn't one of these. I've got it in spades. You know, I can do this. I'm naturally talented. He knew that he got to get everything out of himself to be able to get to where he wanted to get to. Yeah. Um, and he actually scored the last goal that I ever commentated on before it, which was West Brom on the final day of the, the season. Then I left um, to, to go and continue my career elsewhere. I ended up coming back and doing more. But, but my first generation of being a Forest commentator, he scored the, the first, the, the final goal. And he also scored one of the most memorable ones for me. I don't know why, because it, wasn't anything sensational, but he scored one in France against Auxerre in the in the UEFA Cup. I remember, yeah. Lifted the ball over Fabian Cool was the goalkeeper. He lifted the ball over Fabian Cool because they were supposed to knock Forrest out. I think they won the French League that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fabien Lamouchi, who's the manager now, played in the midfield that night. That's right, yeah. And he scored a breakaway goal. Um, and I remember it because they, they got past Malbo and then they thought, well, that's that. We've got Auxerre, they're a good team. And they, and they beat them and then they go on to beat Leon and, he, and then they go and play Bayern Munich. Um, I remember he scored against, I think he scored against Bayern Munich. I think Chettle scored over there and then here, they literally took Forrest apart. Mm-hmm. Mateus played sweeper, Christian Ziga scored early and they went on to win the tournament but I think he scored our goal that night. I think Stoney scored our goal that night. Um, yeah, he, he was, he was, he's a great fella. Absolute top man. You know, uh, even now, we don't, we don't speak a great deal because he's in Newcastle, I'm here, and he's busy and I'm busy, but I could pick the phone up and call him now and we'd have the same conversation that we had 10 years ago or whatever. We, we're, just, we're just good friends and I trust him and I love him to death and he was a brilliant player during that period. And I think, again, when I said to you that um, the clangor they dropped in letting Kevin go to Turkey... Pierre going on strike it ultimately cost them Stoney as well because right, yeah. Ron comes in big Ron comes in and sells him to Aston Villa right and yeah and, and I think about that year where it started it started with a team that had been really fancy to do well in the Premier League re-establish itself by the end of the year Van Hoydonk's gone Campbell's gone Stone's gone the thing's in pieces absolutely yeah, never seen a club broken to that yeah. level so like quickly. that was. Yeah. I mean, dear me. I mean, I, I you could have put Coco the clown in charge and he, he, he would have done a better job than that. I mean, yeah, it was, arguably it was did. Abs- <laughs> Yeah, it was absurd. Absolutely absurd. <laughs> and I feel for Forest supporters to this day. Yeah. That, and and you, sometimes I lack sympathy. When people say, oh, I should be, in the, should be in the Premier League then. Well, it would be if it wasn't for that stupidity back yeah. then. You know, you, you reap what you sow in this, in this world and, and particularly football and... You cannot make errors like that, lose players of that 
caliber and think you're going to get back quickly. It takes a long, 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 long time. And that was the case. Yeah, and you see that with much bigger clubs as well. Clubs are deeper pockets than Forest. You know, Manchester United is a good, good current example. So for a team like Forest, when you have yeah. a gem like Steve Stone or you have um, the alchemy you know, you have with Kevin Campbell and PVH, that's something you want to hold on to. That's something you want to nurture and make the most of. Um, and yeah. yeah, I agree with you. So as you mentioned... Stone, let, me, let me tell you this. So he gets oh, to Villa. He gets to Villa. And... Uh, I think I think he told me at McDonald's he was off to Villa. So we'd gone to McDonald's. He said, I need to meet you. Meet me at McDonald's. So we're in McDonald's. And I said, he said, I've got to Villa. I said, you can't. You can't. You can't. I was devastated. You can't. You can't. <laughs> he went, well, why not? They're going to pay this and that. I said, you can't. He, I said, of course I can. I've got to. They need to sell me. I've got to go. You don't have to go. The club's going down and they've got to sell me. I've got no choice. I've got to go. But Villa are going to do this. I'm like, no, you can't. I just... Never thought it'd come to an end. I was good to. <laughs> when he got to Villa, he's on the right, and little Alan Wright, the fullback, the left back, was 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 the left back. So those two used to room together. From the neck down, they were the same person, Stoney and Alan Wright, two little bald heads. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So when they were at Villa, they 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 get to the hotel, and they'd order room service, and they'd say, "We'll just we'll leave the door on the latch. Just bring the food in." So when the person turned up with the food, they were both in bed, bed over their bed here, because they were sharing, so in the respective beds, with the covers pulled up. And all you could see was the same head sticking out of both beds. And he said, at that time, the fellow's nearly dropped the tray because it's like he's walked into a cleaning factory. It's just the same person in both beds. Like, ah, I've got to try food. And they used to do it. That's what they used to do. They used to... They used to find it very funny. Fantastic. As, 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 as I do. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, Stoney went on to make almost 200 appearances for the Reds, scoring 23 goals. Uh, broke through into the England team as well. Played for England on nine occasions, scoring twice for the Three Lions. And as Fletch mentioned, was in the team for Euro 96, which uh, I had the pleasure of seeing him play there, actually. So I was... Uh, I was there for the England-Scotland game and then I made one other. Which was it? I don't remember. England-Scotland's where it starts and ends for me. Well, they, well, they, 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 went, they went Switzerland, Scotland, Holland, Spain, Germany. Yeah, so, I think it was, uh, I think it was a, the Switzerland game. I think it was the opener. So that was Shearer's yeah. scored, right? Shearer's scored, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's, I feel like I had just a broken record here. As Fletch mentioned, um, uh, Stoney then left Forest to go on to the Premier League, play for Villa. Uh, five and a half million quid, which was nothing to be sneezed at at that time. Had three pretty successful years at Villa Park before moving to Portsmouth and then finished up his playing career with Dirty Leeds. Oh, Stoney, what were you thinking? I remember when he was at Portsmouth, they all pretty much lived on the same close. So you, you, you drive onto this close and all the houses that went round just had a Portsmouth player in it all the way really? around. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and I used to go down and visit and they'd just be like this Portsmouth close. They were all on the same. And then everybody would go out that night. And I think that was one of the keys for them. Very similar to the Forest team I spoke about. They all socialised together because they all lived on the same street. That's so, fantastic. But he, he remember he did his Achilles tendon while he, while he, while he was there. And uh, it got infected. So they gave him this device that was like, remember that, you probably don't know, but, but for, the, for the older listener... 
bus conductors in, in many years ago used to have this like ticket machine. If you ever watch on the buses, I've seen them on movies. See one, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Strap it over the shoulder, and it's like a thing, and they'd get the tickets out. Yeah. So he had one of them essentially that, that that was then piped into his Achilles tendon, and it was sucking all the gunk out of the Achilles. So he walked around for weeks looking like an off-duty bus conductor with this thing on his thing, but it was then piped down the back of his trousers and was stopping his Achilles from getting infected. You should have bought him a cap. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, as you mentioned, he did find his way back to the Northeast, joining Newcastle's coaching staff. Uh, Now he's at Burnley. He's the U23 manager. And, of course, reunited with a couple of his old Forest mates who are... Sean Dyche and Ian who they shared a house together as apprentices, essentially, at Forest. And now they're back together at Burnley. I told you, thick as thieves. Thick as thieves. Yeah. Thick as thieves. Brilliant. Don't get in the middle of that lot, because you're not... If you get in the middle of that lot with the banter, forget it. Well, I can see it with Stoney and I can see it with Dyche, but Wone just comes across as so mild-mannered, you know, so butter wouldn't melt his mouth. And listen, listen, he's got he's got a line in him too. He's quick as well, don't you worry about that. Silent <laughs> assassin. <laughs> uh, Fletch, it's been awesome taking that trip down memory lane. The 90s were big for me and I they were big for you as well when it comes to Forest. And as I said yeah. at the beginning of the episode, so many players we could have chosen in this particular team but I think we've done Big Norm and the Bulldog well there Um, really appreciate your time Fletch thanks so much my friend my pleasure hey this is Shane Malcolm and this is Jordan Schweitzer we're the creators of boot bags fashionable durable washable boot bags are the most convenient way to carry your cleats to and from training or games check us out at bootbags.us you're listening to the Forest Fancast podcast podcast